Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, welcome back to Office Chats, a podcast presented by Madam Blue. I'm your host, Valeria, and today's guest is Connie Shi, the founder of Horology. Horology was created with the desire to see period underwear on the market that was actually comfortable. After trying dozens of brands on the market, Connie created Horology to fit a need she had for period underwear that was both comfortable and extremely effective in preventing menstrual leaks. Connie founded Horology mid-pandemic after leaving a successful career at a large investment firm. In this episode, I chat with Connie about leaving the corporate world to start her own business, the challenges of growing a brand in the menstrual care industry, her mission to empower others, and more. Let's get into the show. Thank you again for joining me on the podcast. I'm excited to talk about your journey to creating Horology. Can you start by telling me when you first became interested in entrepreneurship? I did not study business initially in college. I was at the student union at the University of Maryland, and I just started reading these entrepreneur memoirs, and I just thought those were so cool. I don't know anybody in business in my family. We didn't really, my, you know, my parents are immigrants and they, you know, they just worked regular nine to five jobs. So nobody, I didn't know what the word entrepreneurship really entailed. Um, but I just read these books and I was like, wow, this is so cool. Someone just had this idea and they could like convince investors and customers and really positively change the lives of potentially millions of people worldwide. And I just knew that I wanted to do that from that point. After college, I know when we first met, you told me that you were in the finance world before starting your own company. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience working in finance and why you ultimately decided to leave? Yeah, so I actually started at the investment firm because I learned through these books that it was a good idea to get good at sales. I took that very literally and I was a door-to-door salesperson selling business cards to start. And then one day I knocked on this investment firm's door and I was like, do you want to buy my business cards? I'm selling business cards and they weren't interested, but that kind of got me interested in finance because um, the person I was talking to said that finance was kind of what I was doing. I was in wealth management, um, but you know, on a higher level, I could have like benefits and, you know, higher pay and like career trajectory. And so that's how I got started in finance. My experience was great. I mean, it was really hard. I was cold calling hundreds of people every day for years. I learned a lot about talking to people, like being able to present myself. I looked very young at that time, probably younger than what they would think would be a working professional age. And so I really had to like sell myself. Like I am a pro- professional. I do know what I'm talking about. I did do my homework and I can manage your investments. It was just learning how to do that really quickly. And I had assistants, I had interns. I trained a lot of people on how to build up their own book of financial advising clients as well. And I think it was a great experience. I was there for, I think six years or so uh, before I sold. 
I ultimately left because I had forgotten that I, you know, wanted to get involved in entrepreneurship. I forgot I was having so much fun and it was kind of like having a little business within a business. I had my own financial advising practice within a larger firm. And I think I was in my mid twenties, mid to late twenties. And I, I was like, I don't know where this is going to go in the next decade or two. And if I got involved in startups now, I think the career trajectory could be far greater with far more potential. And so, yeah, I, I started interviewing firms to sell my book of business. And that's ultimately what I ended up doing. When we first met, you talked about how sales didn't come naturally to you at first and you're more introverted. Um, I know I relate to that. So I was wondering if you can speak to what the process was like for breaking out of your shell and mm -hmm. kind of immersing yourself into that world. I remember I had a very specific morning routine now that I think of it. I would listen to some pump up music and <laughs> I like would envision my day. Sometimes I would meditate for five, 10 minutes and then I would eat, eat my breakfast. And it was a very like regimented routine. I would have to put myself in the right mindset. Like, this is what you're going to do. This is what you have to do. Okay, got it. Go do it. And I ended up having a lot of fun. I ended up really liking this extroverted side of myself. I really liked connecting with all different types of people and, you know, sharing kind of my background and learning about them as, as people, not just like businesses or clients, but as individuals mm -hmm. and really connecting to them. And I think really that's the key part of it that like everybody's just a person, even if you're looking at them as like an investor, if there's some way you can build rapport, relate to them in an authentic type of way, I think that really is the key. What was like your go-to pump up music? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I liked, I, um, I like a lot of house music. I like a lot of EDM plus hip hop remixes, plus rap remix, a lot of loud stuff. <laughs> I'm the same. Yeah. To pump me up, I'll I'll do like rap or some reggaeton, something that's really like loud and has a beat. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, so you told us about the finance world and why you ultimately left, but how did the idea for Horology come to be? And can you share the meaning behind the name of the company mm -hmm. as well? Well, the name Horology is um broken into two so Hera is the queen of gods ology is just a play on the suffix l-o-g-y like biology anthropology and it's study of so like I really wanted the word to kind of bring like empowerment to menstruators usually periods are associated with something like that has to be hidden or secret or shameful or type of something like negative. But I was like, no, 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 you can like appreciate your body, learn about it and like actually feel positive things about this. And I just really wanted that to be the emotion associated with the name. Okay. So how did I come to period underwear? I went on a soul searching journey, to be honest, once I left the investment world. I moved out to California by myself right before the pandemic, actually. And if I was going to do a business, I didn't want to contribute to waste. So I was like, okay, I want to do something eco-friendly. I want to do something to help people. In that time, I was looking at having a more sustainable cycle. And I tried so many products. I tried like everything on the market. I have semi-sensitive skin, not crazy sensitive, but everything was super itchy. It felt like a swimsuit. I remember talking to my friends about it and they heard about period underwear, but they weren't sure what it was or how it worked. And they, there's a lot of skepticism. 
I was like, I really think that there's a market opportunity here. It would check all my boxes, to be honest. I could help the environment. I could help empower people with these stigmatized periods. And it just seemed to check all the boxes. And I was like, this is a go. Let's go for it. Once it was clear to you that this is what you wanted to do, what were the first steps that you took to start the business? Um, Well, I first didn't research. I tried a bunch of brands. I did like scientific tests. I was pouring milliliters of water. I was measuring the amount of water to, you know, amount of fluid that these pieces of underwear could hold. I had this whole Google spreadsheet on my research and like also from a marketing angle, like what were the price points? What did they stand for? The brand identity? Where's the room in the market if I wanted to come up with a new business? So I did a ton of research. That was really my first step. And then I really think I just headed up into manufacturing just cold emailing manufacturers, asking them for samples and minimum order quantities, asking them if they could possibly use the most sustainable products out there, but also have like a lower minimum orders. And were you initially producing in California? Mm -mm, I was producing overseas. I still do. Okay. Um, I did my research. It's a small woman-owned factory. They were actually one of the only ones I talked to overseas who really cared about eco-friendly materials. They were careful enough to package their underwear in biodegradable cornstarch, which I still use instead of plastic. And so, but you are not based in California anymore, right? You're in Austin now. Yeah, I'm in Austin. Yep. And are you enjoying it so far? It's okay. It's getting hot. (laughs) (laughs) It's super hot right now. Yeah. I'm from Texas, so I'm used to it, but it it is hot. But you know, looking forward to the pool and the swimming holes, which are unique Mm -hmm. to Austin. So I I very much enjoy those things. Nice. Well, can you tell me exactly how the period underwear that you created fit the gap that you saw in the market and what sets it apart from alternatives that are out there? Alternatives, you mean other period underwear brands or alternatives like any other menstrual product? Like other period underwear. You know, I mentioned earlier, everything was pretty itchy for me and I don't have like that sensitive skin. So I was like, what is going on? Like a lot of these things were made out of plastic, which didn't make sense. Um, And I do want to disclose that this is like talking about these things. Um, It can get pretty like, it's a sensitive topic. Peers are sensitive in and of itself, but there's never any thought to like shame anybody about using disposables or anything like that. I'm all about being realistic and like trying when you can. I'm not zero waste, but you know, we're doing our best and we're trying and there's no shame. And especially with things like period poverty, where some people can't afford period products, let alone a $25 period underwear, that that is, that's fine. You know, do your best and there's no shame. Um, Got sidetracked. So the difference between our product and the other ones, Ours are made out of a sustainable beech tree modal. So it's softer, more absorbent, more breathable than cotton. So one like fiber in the fabric is 10 times thinner than a strand of hair. So it's super thin. Yeah, it makes it super, super soft and like, especially for intimates. So it's a softer fabric. It's a different fit. I experimented with dozens and dozens of prototypes. I really wanted to get something that like would hold fluid and would be effective, but I didn't want it to be so tight that like the seams like dug in. It was just experimenting with different elastics and different fits and fabrics. I am super passionate about menstrual health education and talking to people about period poverty or period inequity. And that's when some menstruators cannot afford any sort of you know, hygienic way to manage menstruation on an ongoing basis, which is heartbreaking. 
and we've donated to multiple charities, but that's kind of like what we stand for, the wellness, the health, the education, and then also the philanthropy part. Got it. So you felt like not only was there a lack of high quality period underwear out there, but it was also there was no company that really was supporting a broader mission and like contributing to help raise awareness on period poverty. Right, right. Yes, correct. Cool. So for those of us who have never tried period underwear, can you tell me like, what should we know? How long can someone wear it before needing to change it? What is the like washing process like? What does it feel like? All the like FAQs (laughs) that you get, can we get into those? Oh, sure. We'll get into the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. I know that there's a lot of hesitation for some people, especially coming from most people have used disposables all their life, like pads, tampons, you just change them multiple times, you know, a day, you throw it out as you go pretty easy. So ours is a little bit different. It is not as scary as some might think. It is a reusable product. So you can wash it. You actually can put it in the washing machine. Some people prefer to hand wash it or to give it a quick rinse before putting it in the washing machine, preferably in a delicate bag. The thing is, try not to put it in the dryer because of these specialty absorbent fabrics. Try to hang it up in like a sunny, well-ventilated place so that it dries fairly quickly. It works because there's multiple layers of fabric in the gusset or like the crotch region, which we extended up to the waistband. There are absorbent materials. There's a waterproof material. Some of our styles have up to five layers. And so these are quick dry, antibacterial, anti-odor, and it shouldn't feel like wet. It shouldn't feel like you're wearing a diaper. I specifically picked fabrics that were thin, so it doesn't feel lumpy or, or clunky or anything like that. For people just starting out, I would recommend just try one. You don't have to buy the whole the whole set. Um, try one, see if you like it. Wear it on a day that you're you know you're going to be working from home, or you know that um, you won't be leaving the house or what have you. Or on a lighter day, or as backup, or even sometimes some people just like to pop it on for the night so they don't have to think about it. Those are the ways that you can start. Um, what else? What other questions to answer? Um, I was just wondering, like, what does it feel like, like it is absorbed or can you tell that, you know, you're on your period? I don't want to say too graphic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I understand. The fabrics absorb pretty quickly and mm-hmm. then they dry pretty quickly as well. I did do multiple tests with water and different fluids because blood is different from water. It's a different viscosity and menstrual blood is also a different viscosity, which just means different thickness from actual blood. It shouldn't feel like you're sitting in a pool of your own blood. So some people are very concerned about that. It should not feel like that because of these layers. It should sink down and then it should quick dry. You did ask about how long you can wear them. It does depend on your flow and everybody's body is different. Typically, we just recommend wearing it like normal underwear. So wash between uses, wear it for like the day or the night, however many hours that is. If someone has a really heavy flow or a uterine disease or condition where they have a heavy flow, a lot of people like to use it as backup, like they'll put in a menstrual cup, but just in case they'll just, you know, wear the period underwear, which is totally fine. So how long did it take you to develop the underwear that you have now? Like, what was that prototype process like? I know you mentioned you use different liquids, but was Mm -hmm. it like, how long did it take for you to get to where you are now? six months, maybe seven months. I Yeah, six or seven months. I was in quarantine. I was in the pandemic. I wasn't working. I had plenty of time. <laughs> I was just buying things online and, and um, testing them. 
I did hire a designer who, who specializes in intimate products. And so I did work with her a little bit on a custom design. I did take a while. It, it is a process and especially working with like an overseas manufacturer. And you said that you offer different styles. Yeah. So right now we have three basic styles to um, cover for like a light, medium and heavy absorbency. A lot of people like the high-waisted one and that's one of our best sellers. It has mesh paneling on both sides, which seems to be a, a popular style because it's high-waisted. The, the gusset or the absorbent area extends all the way up to on the front and the back. So you can sleep on your stomach or on your side or back or move around and you won't have to worry about leaking. So that's our uh, high-waisted one, and that's called the Stacy Brief. And we have the Audrey, which I am restocking right now, working on restocking. And that's uh, a low-rise, and that's kind of for a moderate. Um, it has a lace waistband. It's still pretty absorbent. And then there's the Cloud Bikini, which is super light. I use it as a backup, personally, or on like a day where you think the, the period is over, but you're not sure. You think you're going to start, but you're not completely sure. You don't want to mess up the regular underwear. So that's kind of what that's for. And I like it because the absorbent area is not all the way up to the waistband. It's just in that crotch region. So it's super minimalistic. And most of the underwear is made out of that tree-based modal. You can feel that against your skin, which feels great. I know we mentioned like no shame around disposable products, you know, yeah. to each their own, but yeah. are there any other benefits of using period underwear over tampons and pads? You save on waste, on the plastic waste discard into landfills, and then you save money because on average people spend almost $7,000, and this is US dollars, uh, throughout their lifetime on disposable menstrual products. And there's research studies that show that in terms of plastic waste from these disposable menstrual products, I think the number is huge. It's like 21 billion pounds of plastic menstrual waste discarded into landfills. It can lead to waste runoff into oceans. It can hurt animals and things like that. But honestly, a lot of people like it because it's just convenient. I mean, you don't have to like, oh, shoot, I got to run to the store. I didn't know I would start today. I ran out of pads or whatever. You always have something that's available. It can work for like a lot of different things. I mean, I have moms writing me that say that for the middle schoolers who are just starting out, like they might be like not super comfortable with changing in public and they just kind of pop it on and forget about it. Mm -hmm. um, this also works for people with incontinence as well. Well, speaking of that, can you share more feedback from your customers? I'm really thankful in that most of the comments and reviews have been positive. People like the styles. They like that it's comfortable. They want us to come out with more styles, which I am working on. I promise mm -hmm. I'm working on shopping for cool items to wear on your period instead of trying to hide it or throw it away or just get rid of it as soon as possible. I think that's kind of cool. A friend of mine was telling me the other week that she felt the word elegant and she's like, I never feel that on my period, but like, I really like with this style, I just felt beautiful. Like what? And I, and that just like, uh, that just melted my heart. I was like, oh, that's, I'm so happy to hear that. That is such an interesting perspective on it. Right. Cause like you said, every product are like, just get it over with, get it done quickly, discreetly. And so it's cool that you're kind of reframing that approach and providing garments that are actually comfortable and beautiful, but also super functional. Yes. Well, speaking of these customers, is there any tips you can share for how you've been able to grow a following and customer base for your business? So I'm going to be super honest. We started and we launched on viral TikTok. So a lot of the content was shock and awe content because apparently periods are still shocking to some people, unfortunately. So we kind of leveraged the 
controversial aspect of it. And that's really how we got our first customer base. Now we're focusing on less of the shocking stuff and more and, and really refining the brand identity and focusing on being more authentic and real and relatable to our customers. I mean, this is super generic, but I would just focus on being authentic and building connections with different partnerships and building a connection with the customers, actually having conversations with them. We have an ambassador program as well. So that's what I would say, being authentic and building a network. And it seems like you really incorporate their feedback, you know, like if they're reaching out wanting different styles, you're saying mm-hmm. that's something you're already working on. Right. So right. it's cool that they can be involved in the company as well. Yes, for sure. Well, when we last spoke, you mentioned that there are some challenges that actually come with selling and marketing a product in the menstrual care industry. Can you tell me more about that and how you've overcome those obstacles? Yeah, I think the stigma is the big elephant in the room that, I mean, I talk about this every day. I'm pitching people. I'm talking to me. So to me, it's not that crazy of a topic, but I guess for other people, it, it might be, and I need to be empathetic as a person and as a founder to that. And that's something, honestly, that I had to learn starting out because we did a lot of shock and awe content. I showed like period blood or fake period blood. And that was really offensive to a lot of people around the world. The challenge of that, I think, is censorship is pretty big on some platforms. And some people think that this is not you know, appropriate for children. However, children have periods. The average age is like 10 to 13, which is under 18. <laughs> And so when people flag our videos, like on our main TikTok account, then that video gets taken down and then I appeal it and it gets put back up, but then um, that hurts our algorithm. So just because one person flagged it, they're like, oh, this account is not reliable. Something's going on. And if a, a couple dozen people flag it, then we can't get our message out there to our thousands of followers. It's been a struggle for sure. So now we're focusing more on our ambassador program. We're focused on, I've done some in-person events, which is really cool, focusing on getting into retail stores and then focusing on, say, Instagram instead of TikTok, because I think that's like a smaller audience. We touched a little bit about how you're partnering with nonprofits that aim to end period poverty. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me more about how you're supporting that mission and why it was important to you as a founder to do that? Yeah. I mean, initially I didn't know about this, to be honest. I really, I mean, I started the company because I wanted to help other menstruators and I wanted to reduce waste, but I didn't know that period poverty was a problem. I was just prototyping and I had a bunch of leftover prototypes that I, I don't need 50 pairs of period underwear, but I never worn them before. I just was reaching out to homeless shelters and women's shelters in the San Francisco area. And then I had a bunch of disposables as well that I was like testing to make sure the absorbencies were on par. And I, I was like, hey, I, I don't know what to do with these products. Do you, I have a couple garbage bags full of them. Do you guys want any? And I, I learned a lot about what period poverty was by talking to them, by doing my own research around that. You know, it's sad to say that some homeless shelters do not take reusable period products because some of their demographic or the people they serve do not have access to running water to wash them, which is super heartbreaking. One in four women, I think, is a statistic experience period poverty. And that means like people, like a lot of girls, not in faraway countries, in the United States, in Austin, miss school because they are on their periods. I just thought I have to help out in some way. So previously we've donated products, prototypes, anything I could. I I think we've partnered with half a dozen charities thus far. Some percentage of sales go to those proceeds with different launches. 
I love that you said that this isn't just happening in foreign countries, like it's happening probably in everyone's cities right now. Yes. So it's, I think it's really cool that you're making it a priority to give back and bring awareness to it because it is a little bit taboo and it's not something people talk about regularly, but it's a part of our normal life. I think it's just something that people have to talk about in the right way, you know, leveraging social media and such and really get the word out. I think this next generation, I guess, after mine, I mean, I I think everyone is doing a better job in being more accepting of, you know, their bodies. And I think that's really cool. I think we're headed in the right direction for sure. Is there anything else that you were surprised to know about the menstrual care industry when you first started Horology? I mean, I was just probably super naive starting out, but um, I didn't realize that so many of like the big box brands, they still call it like feminine hygiene, which is it implies that it's only for feminine people and hygiene implying that it might be dirty. And so there's like, there's little things, little semantics that I didn't know were that big of a deal, but I really thought about that. And I was like, yeah, I, I get it. That's why like, I try to use the word menstruators as much as possible. I'm working on creating gender neutral boy shorts. So anyone can wear them regardless of how they identify. Can you speak to what your ultimate goal would be for horology? Like any upcoming goals you have for the future that you can talk about? For sure. I mean, I honestly got into um, the company because I really wanted to do something big. I wanted to leave a mark and, you know, maybe as corny as it sounds, I wanted to impact a lot of people, like millions of people. I wanted to help them in a big way. I hope to do that with Horology in making these products more accessible. And so right now we're talking to retailers and seeing if we can get our products in at least local Austin-based stores so that everybody can have access to sustainable period products. We're working on, you know, with our manufacturer on the price points and such that it's accessible for everybody. And you don't need to be in a certain socioeconomic state to use products that are good for the body and good for the earth. It just doesn't make sense to me. So I don't know, my ultimate goal, I um, am applying for funding right now. So I would like to grow this company as big as possible, but I want to do it in a way that maintains the core values of the company, like the ethics, integrity of it, the the commitment to sustainability and, you know, empowering our customers. That's kind of ultimately what I would like to do. I love it. I can't wait to watch you guys grow. Now that you're about a year into running your business, what advice would you give to someone who's just starting up their own brand that you wish you would have known when you started? I think talking to other people is really important. I was, you know, very lucky to get into a couple accelerators starting out. It's really cool because you surround yourself with other entrepreneurs and stuff. And so you can learn from them. You're all growing. You're all struggling together. And I think that's super important because before I was by myself in my apartment, trying to hack it out, figure it out without any experience. And so that, that was a lot of slow growth and slow learning, but I think things really started getting accelerated when I joined these groups and these, um, it was a fellowship and a couple accelerators. Awesome. Well, I like to close out each episode by asking our guests to provide a final piece of advice for the audience. So has there been a memorable moment in your career where you learned a valuable lesson on entrepreneurship? I'm going to be really honest, and this is probably not very flattering to myself, but before when I was in finance, I was super competitive and I, you know, I'm a little embarrassed to say that, but I was super, super competitive and it wasn't, it's not healthy, like for me mentally 
And so what I really learned in this business was that, I, I mean, I'm working more about thinking of things in terms of abundance. And so I think what I've really learned is that helping other people doesn't hurt me and like accepting mentorship or trying to mentor other people. Um, I think that really, I think that, I mean, it just sounds corny, but I think it's true. It really, it really makes everything work. Like I was fortunate enough to have a variety of mentors. I have a board of advisors that I'm super fortunate to have. And a lot of people are doing this as volunteer work. So they're not really getting a lot out of this. And, and I'm just super grateful for that. And so having the mindset of abundance and not being competitive, I'm just going to say, it, especially with other women, if I see an opportunity that I think my friend can also benefit from, who's also a female entrepreneur, I'll send it over to her. So what, how, do, how does it serve me? But it's not to say to be a doormat or to not work hard. I think there is definitely a balance, like working hard within yourself and asserting your boundaries and being you know, assertive and all that, but then also not being selfish with resources and not being super competitive. Yeah. In a negative way. Cause mm -hmm. I just think mental for mental health wise, it's not great. <laughs> yeah. What is that saying? Rising tides lift all boats. Yeah. Something yeah, like that? Sure. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Connie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I really enjoyed learning more about you and what drives your business. It's so fascinating to me before I let you go. Can you please let everyone know where they can keep up with you and horology online and on social media? Yeah. So, I mean, all of our handles are at Horology. It's um, H-E-R-A-L-O-G-I-E. -E. So this is on, we're mainly on Instagram nowadays, but we have a TikTok. Um, we're on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. It's just Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E, last name S-H-I-H. Thank you so much to Connie for joining me on the podcast and thank you to everyone listening. I hope you join us next week for a new episode of Office Chats. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.